bless you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, I guess you got the memo about the shirt, right? So we're, we're matchy-matchy today. Thank you for being here. Uh, our desire is, first of all, you make Jesus the Lord of your life and make Downey First Christian Church your church home. And it's a, it's a blessing for us uh, to have you in our church. Uh, we're a church of wide open arms, and it's just, uh, it makes me so happy that you're here. And I hope this message is helpful uh, to you as well. And so, um, last Sunday, the man that went to the man camp uh, came back. They weren't able to make it into church. But I just want to say it was an amazing time. We have a little uh, video there just kind of giving you a feel for what it was, and for some of the guys, giving you a feel for what you missed. Next, uh, next uh, uh, year, I hope that the guys that weren't able to participate in that uh, will sign up, because honestly, it was an incredible blessing. God spoke to us, and we were able to just enjoy ourselves. So it was really, really good, and so uh, super, super happy for those that participated. And if you didn't, next year is your year, so make sure that you sign up for that, all right? So um, the, the, the passage for today is Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. It's just one verse. It's just one verse. And I'm going to read it. And I don't know what you're going to think when I read it, but I'm going to try to unpack it a little bit. Matthew 5, 48 says this. This is Jesus talking. He says, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Just be perfect. That's, that's, that's it. Sound easy? Just do that. That's all you got to do, and all will be good. And so... Um, we're, we're, we're in a series right now called Joy Stealers, and we're talking about, about these things in our life that steal our joy. We want joy in our life. It's what we ultimately seek, but there are certain things in our life that steal our joy. The first week, we talked about self-centeredness. Uh, the second week, we talked about comparison, and today we're going to talk about the burden of sin, the burden of sin. And so um, the burden of sin, sin, like sin is bad, right? It's not good. Sin is bad. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not a good thing. Uh, we don't like to sin. We don't like people that sin. But listen to this. I grew up as a Christian. A Christian home, fifth generation of pastors. Church was my whole thing. And in the back of my mind, I always carried this burden of sin. It, this is the image that I had of God was that God was waiting for me to make a mistake in order to punish me. That, that was in my mind. It was either, it was like, do this or else. Or you better do this or else. It was always that whole idea in my mind. My mom used to tell me, you know where sinners go, right? Now, she has better theology now, but back then, I was scared. Like, if I, like here's the thing. If I sinned and then I died and I didn't confess my sin before I died, I was going to be punished for eternity. That's how I grew up. That's the, that's the mentality that I had when I was growing up. So I had this huge burden. I was walking around life, and I was always scared. But there was a huge contradiction also, because I would read scriptures like, for example, one of my favorite ones, Matthew 11, 28 and 29, says this. This is Jesus talking to. The same guy that said, you got to be perfect, says this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find what? Rest for your souls. And so I loved hearing that. It sounded good. But then I would hear the Sermon on the Mount, which was the part of the verse that we read at the beginning. And the Sermon on the Mount, as it was preached to me, was all about doing better and trying harder. See, Matthew uh, chapter 5, we don't have the verses, but I'll just kind of give you a glimpse of what it was. So Jesus was saying, you've heard it said that murder is bad, right? 
But I tell you now that even if you say a bad word to someone else, you are a murderer in your heart. In other words, if you say a bad word or you say something negative to someone, you're not just someone that says something negative, you're a murderer in my book. Same thing with adultery. You've heard it said that if you commit adultery, then you're going to be judged. But I tell you that even if you look at a woman lustfully, that you have already committed adultery with her in your heart. In other words, if you, commit a, if you look at a woman lustfully, you're not just a guy who looks at a woman lustfully. You have actually committed murder. I'm sorry. You have committed adultery. Not that bad. You have committed uh, adultery. Uh, with, like you're an adulterer. You're not just a guy who has lust. You are an adulterer in my book. That's what Jesus is saying. And he continues down the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about divorce. He talks about oaths. He talks about an eye for an eye. He talks about love for the enemies. And then he ends in verse 48 by saying this. You know what? Let me just sum it up for you. Just be perfect. Just be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And so I had that, that, that idea in my mind growing up. So I was off to the races. And, and this is what was preached to me every Sunday. And so this is how I understood the gospel. The gospel to me was this. Do better and try harder. Do better, try harder. Do better and try harder. And then I would come across passages like Isaiah 64, 6 that says all of us have become like, like one who is unclean. All your righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sin sweeps us away. And then I would read Romans 3.10. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. So like, what do I do with all that? Like, this, is, this was so confusing to me. So Matthew 11 was, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, right? And then Matthew chapter 5 is telling me, be perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. And then I would go to Isaiah, and he'd be like, by the way, you're never going to make it. So what do I do with that? What do I do with that? Have you ever been faced with an impossible situation? Um, when I grew up, I, was, I wanted to buy my first car as I was growing up, and my dad, uh, who's a missionary in Chile, he's still a missionary there, he uh, runs uh, Christian high schools. He has a few Christian high schools. And one of those high schools, he said, you want a, you want a car? Okay, I'll get, I'll get you, you know, we'll get you a car, but you've got to paint this whole high school. Like, that was my job for the summer. You had to paint this whole high school. Like, even if I worked 24 hours, there was no way. There was no way. And so what he wanted to teach me a lesson, like, you've got to work in a team. Like, you've got to hire people to work with you. Then you'll be able to finish the job. The reason why I share that is because sometimes in the same way, we are faced in our Christian walk with an impossible situation. We're like, I can't do this. Like, like how? How am I supposed to live up to this incredible standard that seems absolutely unreasonable. So I grew up with that. I grew up with that thought. And I constantly knew that I was sinning. But I saw everybody else and I, and I thought that they were doing pretty good. And so I felt like everyone else was doing good and I kept sinning. Everyone else was, was sort of perfect. And so what I did was I started to fake it. I started to act like I had everything together. And so this is so important. You see, because Matthew 11 says, come to me and you will find rest. But I did not feel rested coming to Jesus. I did not feel that rest. I felt burdened by coming to Jesus. I felt like I was never enough. I was always falling short. And some of you may think, and this is how I grew up, some of you may think, well, you should be burdened by sin. You should. Like sin should be a burden for you because Jesus died on the cross and he paid this huge price because actually if you don't feel the burden of your sin, you're going to be dishonoring the cross, the price that Jesus paid for you because it's like you don't even care. 
what I grew up thinking. So what did I end up with in my mind? I'm like, okay, so try harder, be better, try to make progress. And, and that's how I understood the Sermon on the Mount. Like, like it was Jesus' to-do list for us. This is how it was preached to me. It was basically be better, the Sermon on the Mount, be better at forgiving. That's what I would walk away with. Be better at keeping your promises. That's what I would walk away with. Be better with lust management is what I would walk away with. Be better at controlling your anger is what I would walk away with. Basically, be better and try harder. That was the whole gospel for me. It was, it was the whole gospel. Even, even worse than that, because if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, it even goes deeper. Like it's not just not sinning, but it's also not even wanting to sin. That's how deep it goes. If you're married or you're in a, in a relationship, sometimes... You know, you'll say something stupid, and then your wife will say, and you're like, what did I say? And she's like, it's not what you said. It's how you said it, right? It's like this scene in a movie. Like, I don't remember what movie it was, but it was this whole idea of, of the dude was watching the game, and he didn't do the dishes. And she, the wife comes back, and she's like, why didn't you do the dishes? I'm like, fine, I'll do the dishes. And he starts doing the dishes. He's like, she's like, not like that. And he's like, what do you mean? You wanted me to do the dishes. And she's like, no, I don't want you to do the dishes. I want you to want to do the dishes. <laughs> like, what? And so the reason why I, I share that is because that's how deep it goes. It's like not just not murdering, not just not lusting, not just not lying. It's not even wanting to do these things is what Jesus requires. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And the bottom line is be perfect like God. So here's the question. Do you really believe Jesus was expecting for us to hit the mark of matching the perfection of God? Do you really think that Jesus was expecting for us to hit the mark of the perfection of God? Of course not. He didn't want us to hit the mark. He wanted us to hit a wall and realize that there's no way. It's like the rich young ruler and all the, the disciples were scared. They're like, then who's going to be, who can be saved? Who can be saved, you know? And the problem is that, that around the world, we've been, I say we, but ministries have, have, ministries have grown on the basis of behavior modification and sin management. That's the whole message, is be better and try harder. And I've said this before and actually heard another pastor say it because I love this line. He's like, I don't know at what point the Christian life became about the life of the Christian. Why is it all about us all of a sudden? We make the gospel man-centered. And I, let me just tell you this. We don't dishonor, listen to this, help it comes out right. We don't dishonor the cross. We do not dishonor the cross by letting go of the burden of sin. We dishonor the cross when we insist on carrying the burden that Jesus already carried for us 2,000 years ago. We're saying that his sacrifice wasn't enough. One of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's a mouthful. It's a beautiful verse. So we have become, listen to this, we have become the righteousness of God through what Christ did for us. In other words, Matthew chapter uh, 5, when it says be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, yes, we can be perfect because Jesus made us righteous. 
So we can't hit that standard, not because of what we do or fail to do, but because of what Christ already did for us on the cross. But we still have a problem because we still have a tendency to make sin the main thing. You know, I promise you, man, I promise you. And the more I see this, the more it's starting to bother me, to be quite honest. You go to churches, you go to events, camps, retreat, youth groups, children's ministry, conferences, and here's what you walk away with. You walk away with a to-do list. That's what you walk away with. You walk away with action steps, right? You walk away with you're not good enough, do this, and you'll be a little bit closer, okay? Basically, do better and try harder. Brothers and sisters, this is a man-centered gospel because you end up with one of two ideas. When, it's, when, it, when everything revolves around me, do better, try harder. When everything revolves around me, you end up with one of two ideas, one of two ideas. I want to talk a little bit about this. You end up with self-righteousness on the one hand, or you end up with self-help on the other, on the other hand. Self-righteousness or self-help. Let me explain to you what self-help is. This is man-centered also. Self-help is, I'm going to use the Bible, Jesus, the church, prayer, activities, all of these, these things to help me reach the goals that I have set for myself. Self-help. So, so you, you, you're using God to help yourself. Now, self-righteousness, on the other hand, is, is if, if self-help is using God to help yourself, then self-righteousness um, is you helping God. You're helping God, right? So, so you're doing all these things. You're adding all these things to the sacrifice that Jesus already did because clearly it wasn't enough. Self-help is all about God helping me. Self-righteousness, sorry. Self-righteousness is all about me helping God try harder because clearly the cross wasn't enough. You know, and here's the other thing. You may be here and you may, you may think today that, that Jesus, that the sacrifice of Jesus was enough to save you. But the sacrifice wasn't enough for Jesus to keep you saved. You got to do that on your own. So you got to keep working, you got to keep trying, you got to keep doing all these things so that you could stay saved. And both, both of these are preached every Sunday in churches all across the world. Self-righteousness or self-help. Self, it's all about me. And I promise you this message will leave you empty and it will leave you frustrated. Because anything that revolves around you needing to do rather than what Jesus did... It's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. Which brings me to how Paul reacted to, to these churches um, in, the, um, in the region of, of Galatia. So there was this, this, these churches there. And, and there was the Judaizers that were adding to the gospel. They were adding things. They were, adding, they were like, Jesus is fine. Like, you can have Jesus. Like, he died and he saved and all that kind of stuff. However, you got to add kosher eating. you got to add the Sabbath. Um, and, you've got to, uh, and you've got to add just different things to this list that um, circumcision was also a big one um, because you have to add these things because Jesus needs a little bit more help, right? And so, so this is how Paul reacts to this. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 says, I am astonished, he says, that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and you are turning to a different gospel which in reality is no gospel at all. Evidently, some 
people are throwing you into confusion, talking about the Judaizers, and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So what is he saying here? He's saying, um, if you add anything, anything, anything to the gospel, not only are you turning to a different gospel, which is in reality no gospel at all, but also when you add something, you're not, you're not just tweaking the gospel. You're throwing the whole thing out. And he says that it is a perversion. And when you do this, you are deserting the one who called you. This is a big deal. Not just, hey, let's just sprinkle the sacrifice of Jesus with a few things. No, he says, like, if you do that, that's no gospel at all, and you're perverting the gospel, and you're deserting the one who called you because of adding things to this gospel. You see, I've said this so many times, but I just feel like it's, again, again, it is finished. It is finished. When Christ died on the cross and he said it is finished, he meant it. He meant it. And here's another thing that I realized about the gospel is that the gospel is not really an invitation. It's not an invitation. The gospel is not an invitation to do better, to try harder, to do more, to read your Bible, to raise your hand, to do the sinner's prayer. It's not an invitation. You know what the gospel is? The gospel is a declaration. It is a declaration. You see, an invitation and a declaration are two different things. An invitation is, hey, I invite you to VBS. You've got to sign up and pay the money, right? I invite you to man camp. You've got to sign up and you've got to pay the money, right? Uh, I invite you to, et cetera. You know, you've got to sign up and you've got to pay the money, right? That's an invitation. A declaration is completely different. And here's, here's what I came across this week that I hope is going to be helpful. It's a declaration or a proclamation for that matter. It's so different. Let me give you an example of a proclamation. Abraham Lincoln, on January 1st, 1863, gave a proclamation. It was the Emancipation Proclamation, which meant that 3.5 million African-American slaves were now free. That's a proclamation. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't, there's no requirements, there's no, there's no list, there's nothing to fill out, there's no price to pay, it was what it was. And that's what the gospel is. You see, if you were, you were a slave, you were now free. It was a proclamation. It was not an invitation. John chapter 8 says, if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. The moment, brothers and sisters, that Jesus dies on the cross and says, it is finished, that is a proclamation of freedom from sin. That freedom is available to all. Now, but the invitation is also an invitation. But it's not what you think. The invitation is believe the good news. Believe the good news of what already happened on the cross. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about what it might have felt like to be a slave back then. So there's this proclamation, like, hey, you're free now. But then, like, it must have been kind of like, what do I do now? Like, this kind of feels weird. Like, i got to actually believe that this is true. And belief isn't just saying I believe. It's like i got to walk out into my freedom that's already available to me. That must have been a strange feeling. But that's the invitation. You see, it took faith for them to just walk out into their freedom in the same way. That's why faith is so essential, that we will believe the good news. 1 John 2, 2 says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And here's where the invitation comes in. Believe the good news. You see, sin is no longer the main plot. 
of the whole thing. And we make it the main plot. Um, and when we do that, we're turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. And we have deserted the one who calls us, who called us. You see, the effect of sin has, has forever been taken care of on the cross. Um, and Jesus took the sin out of the equation forever. The effects of sin, he took it out of the equation forever. And I know this makes people very nervous. I, I get it. I can feel it. Like, wait, what is he saying? Like, now we can do whatever we want. Like, it's all free now. It's like, okay, so we have Jesus, and now we can just live however we want. Some people call that cheap grace. It's cheap grace because it's cheap. You're cheapening, you're cheapening the gospel. But when you look at the cross, does that look cheap to you? Price that Jesus paid on the cross. You see, it cost Jesus everything, everything. So here's the proclamation. The proclamation that Jesus proclaimed it on the cross, it is finished. And the invitation for us is to believe the good news. So I'm going to finish with this. Here's the question. Okay. Hope I can read your minds. I don't know. Here's the question that I think maybe you're asking yourself this morning. If sin no longer condemns us, then why stop sinning? What's the point? Well, the author of Hebrews gives us the answer. Hebrews 12, 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Another translation of entangle is, is under siege, like a city under siege, like you can't get out. That's what sin does to you. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Why, why, do, we, why do we stop sinning? Because sin entangles. Sin will entangle you. And here's the problem. I'm going to be very respectful with this, but I, this, is, this is a burden on my heart, and I want to share it with you guys. Here's the thing. Um, I think many of you, perhaps lots of you, because this, this was certainly me, don't understand sin. Like, you don't understand what sin really is. You don't have an understanding of what sin is. Um, maybe you're, you're a Christian, and you come to church every Sunday, and in your mind, you're like, I'm here being a good person, coming to church, managing my own sin, while everyone else is out there doing whatever they want. Well, I'm here sacrificing and not sinning. In fact, I would go as far to say that it is possible that some of you are secretly jealous of other people get, get to do whatever they want while we're here paying the price, living for God and waiting, waiting for your goodness to be rewarded. It's not how it works. You don't understand sin if that's how you think sin works. Um, that's the problem here. That's not how sin works. You see, seeing someone who's not following Jesus should not make you jealous and say, oh, look, they get to do whatever they want while we're here sacrificing for Christ. No, you should feel sorry for them. You need to understand this. Sin entangles. Sin is not good. Sin is not a good thing. You see, your performance, it's so important to understand this. Um, sin doesn't condemn you. Jesus already proclaimed it. However, your performance for God is gaining you zero points in the salvation department. Did you, know, did you know that? And so then again, pastor, why not sin? Because it puts you under siege. Because sin entangles you. Because it leaves you empty. Because it leaves you with no satisfaction. It causes you pain. It causes you frustration. You weren't created to live that way. That's why we don't sin. And when we do sin, there's grace. 
It's not gaining us points. You see, Hebrews 11 and Proverbs 14 says that basically that sin is good for a season, but then it leaves you empty. And those of you who've lived that way, you know that. It's like, oh, it's great now, but then wait for the, you know, wait for the reward at the end. We're not created to be entangled in sin. It's a waste of time. Now I'm going to end with this. Um, I hope this makes sense. It's, it's, it's the gospel. The gospel is not an invitation. The gospel is a proclamation of what Christ already finished on the cross. The invitation is to believe the good news. You see, we have to take sin out of the equation. We, we live our lives focusing so much on sin management and being better and trying harder. But brothers and sisters, when we understand what Christ did on the cross for us and the forgiveness available and the grace available, when you, when you understand that, when you encounter the living Christ, he will not leave you the same. So I want us to, to bow our heads here for a minute. And um, if we close our eyes, I'm going to say a few things and then we're going to pray. Lord God, this morning, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, because we can, we can rely on your finished work on the cross. And it's such a good reminder for us to, to just think about what you did and how you died and rose from the dead. And that now we can be free. Not free to, not free to sin, but free from sin. Thank you, God, because you remind us that sin entangles us. It puts us under siege. We miss our purpose. And I pray, God, that you'll allow for us to be free from self-righteousness, which is us helping you, and also from the idea of self-help, of you helping us to achieve our own goals. I pray, God, that we will desperately seek you and want nothing more than to love you and to be connected to you and to be grateful for the grace available for when we do fall into sin. We're eternally grateful. So maybe you're here this morning and with your eyes closed and um, heads bowed and you just need me to pray for you. Maybe you've been carrying the burden of sin for so long and you need to be free from it. You need to walk into this freedom that's available to you. If this is you, I just want to pray for you. Just raise your hand and put it right back down. I'll pray for you. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Lord God, um, wow, Lord, just thank you. I just pray for these hands that were raised that you allow for, for them to be freed from, from, the, from guilt, free from the idea of punishment, free from this understanding that it's all about doing better and trying hard and that they'll be able to just walk into the grace that is available as a result of you paying the full price. I thank you, Lord. And I pray that we'll be able to actually feel and live out the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.